You all have been a delight to be around and to be with, and you're just salt of the earth type people, a joy to be with, and thank you so much for your kindness, for all those people who provided meals. Uh, George and Tammy took me out to, today to Cheddar's and had a big meal, and all started Sunday, and Alan took me over to Chili's, and I won't tell you how many baskets of uh, chips and salsa we ate at Chili's on Sunday, but when you walked in, it, the uh, menu says unlimited salsa and chips. It doesn't say that anymore. So I'll just tell you that's how many baskets of chips we had. Anyway, but I've been fed well here this week. I just enjoyed being with you. Everybody's so sweet. You've got a great church here, and I wish you nothing but the best. And pray God will use you as you work together to build up the kingdom of God. You know, there's an old saying that says, Bloom where you're planted. You're planted right here in Bristol, Virginia. This is where God has put you. Now, my calling is in a different location every week. I'll start another revival out on the other end of the state on Sunday morning. But your calling is right here in Bristol, and that's a good thing. What I want to say to you is the work that takes place here in Bristol is as important as the work that takes place anywhere on the face of the earth. So work together in unity and harmony. Love one another. Make a difference right here where He's put you. If I don't get an opportunity to say goodbye to you after the service, I will be out there, but if for any reason I don't get a chance to say goodbye to you, we'll let this service goodbye. And thank you so much for letting me come and share in your midst this week. And I want to say thank you to you, Pastor Todd and to Cindy and their family. What a delight they've been to be with this week. And we've met before, but it's been a long time ago when I worked with them on uh, the other side of Richmond in the church they served in years ago. And great to be back and reestablish our friendship this week. And I know you love this couple and this family, and I hope you'll let them know how much you appreciate them and encourage them and support them as they lead you here. So, Todd, God bless you, and thanks for letting me come. And I wish you all nothing but the best as you continue to lead these people. Let me make uh, two quick announcements. One. Our Evangelistic Association puts out a quarterly newsletter, and you'll find those on the stand as you leave tonight. If you'd like to be on our mailing list, all you need to do is sign your name and address. We'd be happy to add you. It tells about our family life, our mission trips overseas, our schedule for spring, summer, fall, whatever's going on in our ministry. And those go out four times a year. On that same sheet is also an opportunity to sign up. I send out a blurb every couple of weeks. I'll probably send one out tomorrow. And uh, that's a word of encouragement to Christians. If that's of interest to you, then I would need your email address. Two totally separate things, but you sign up on the same sheet. So full address for this, email address for the other. We don't share it with anybody. We don't share your email address with anybody. We're not trying to get anything out of you. And if you don't want to receive it, you don't need to sign up. You will not hurt my feelings. You bypass it, and you won't bother me at all. Then also as you leave tonight, You'll find some CDs on the table back there with three messages. And uh, this is a gift from our ministry to you. And if you would like to have one, all I would ask is that you only take one for family. Don't have enough for everybody in here, but have enough for one for family. And just pick one up off the table as you leave. And it's a gift from us to you. And hope you can enjoy it. Maybe when you're through listening to it and you want to share it with somebody else, maybe you can do that. So that'll be available after the service tonight. All right, uh, take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 24. Interesting how the God works things out. The song that the choir from Calvary just sang. That's what we're talking about, Joshua 24, 14, and 15. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. Message entitled, What's Happened to the Family? You found that in your Bible? This is what the Word of God has to say. Now therefore, fear the Lord, 
Serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods your father served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods your father served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. My heart's desire is that every family in here can leave this building tonight loving your families with all your heart, saying, as for me and my house, we are going to serve Jesus Christ together. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, providing a way of eternal life. Now there's some here tonight maybe that have never been saved. Some of these young people, maybe teenagers, middle school students, maybe some adults, some moms and dads who've never trusted Jesus. How we pray they'll give their heart to the Savior tonight. God, maybe there's some folks who need to follow through in the waters of baptism. I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and they'll do it tonight. God, maybe there's some folks who will need to join this church tonight, been visiting here. You're leading them here, the King's Way. I pray they'll do it. God, more than anything else, I pray you'll draw families around the cross tonight. So I thank you for every mother and father, husband and wife, son and daughter, brother and sister, grandmother and granddaddy in this building tonight. Now, God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is your home tonight built upon the rock? Or is your home on the rocks? In other words, are you standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ in your family relationship? Or are the rocks and rough spots of life crumbling right out from before your very eyes? You know there's been enough written about the family in the last ten years to fill an entire library, and rightfully so. We send our children to high school and college, but the best training they should ever get is in their own home from their own families. There's a great responsibility that goes along with the title, Mother and Daddy, and we need to take that responsibility very seriously. The best family relationship you could ever let your children see is the relationship of a husband and wife and everything God intended for that to be. Strong family bonds start with strong marriage relationships. For several years now, we've been hearing that one out of every two marriages is ending in divorce. That statistic now is as true inside the Christian community as it is outside the Christian community. And you know, I pastored for about 10 years, and that statistic made me not want to marry anybody because I thought, well, every 10 times I perform a wedding ceremony, five of them aren't going to make it. I don't want to have any part of that. And so, you know, it really doesn't take a rocket scientist. It really doesn't take a college education to figure out what it takes for a marriage to stay intact. It takes the Lord Jesus Christ being in the center of the marriage relationship. Secular psychologists tell us the American family is simply changing with the times, seeking new solutions, new insights. Breakups are inevitable. All is not well with the American family, and the world is willing to accept that. The reality is this. The United States now has the highest divorce rate in the world. 86% of people surveyed said they thought extramarital affairs were wrong, and yet over 50% of that same group said, but I've been involved with somebody else during my married life. Then on top of that, there are a whole lot of couples who say, well, we just want to test the water before we tie the knot. In other words, they want to live together. And in many homes, the knot never gets tied. Then on top of that, there are couples who've been married 20, 30, 40 years, but there's no love, no vitality, no tenderness, no affection. Like two ships passing in the night, they blow the horn at one another as they go in and out of the driveway, and that's about it for the day. Well, that's part of the breakdown in the family, but it doesn't end there. 
Parents and children are also at odds with one another. Who's to blame? Well, it depends on who you talk to. A popular country song said, Rivalries between sons and fathers make me feel like I miss that dad of mine. How I wish I could say I'm sorry, but the world has turned too many times. The writer of the song says the damage has gone on too long now, and it cannot be fixed. But what would God say about that? What would God say about the middle-aged businessman who drives a nice car, makes a nice salary, and doesn't even know the name of the school his children attend? Would God be willing to settle for the fact that the teenage suicide rate has tripled in the past 20 years, and the teenage drug problem has reached epidemic proportions. Listen to these statistics. In the next 30 minutes, 29 kids will attempt suicide. 57 will run away from home. 22 teenagers will get an abortion. 685 teenagers will use drugs. 188 teenagers will experience a serious drinking problem. And 285 young people will be the victim of a broken home before I'm through talking to you here tonight. And my question is, what in the world has happened to the family doing things together, including worshiping the Lord? Many families that were once close-knit have now lost that closeness. And way too often we're willing to accept that change in our relationship as nonchalantly as we accept the change from spring to summer. Knowing what we know about our families, isn't it about time we recommitted ourselves to them? Isn't it about time we got serious with those we stood at the altar with one day and said until death do us part? What if we made a commitment to spend more time with our young people and teenagers? What if teenagers and young people had more respect for those who brought them into the world? And what if we did this? What if we said, you know, I'm going to spend less time at the office and more time with my family? People tell me all the time, this night's tied up with this activity, this night's tied up with that activity, but nobody's ever said to me, Roger, this is the night we cut the television off and actual conversation takes place in our house. You see, if you're not committed to your spouse, if you're not committed to your kids, they'll find other replacements. They'll find other interests. When you were young, many of you used to have a set of Lincoln log building blocks. And you'd build those log houses and they would stay secure. Now, somebody might come along and kick over your log house, but the logs would stay interconnected. Many of the toys made today are plastic. They're cheaply made on an assembly line. Do you know what happens when you kick a plastic house over? The whole thing caves in. My point is this, in our approach to our families, have we become assembly line parents rather than handcrafted parents? Are we taking the time with our kids and our spouse to build something that will last, something that will not fall down with the first little difficulty that comes along in life? Today, husbands and wives have career-oriented marriages. In many of your homes, both of you are working, and that's fine, that's not a problem. But oftentimes, we rationalize in our mind Though I don't spend much time with my children, the time I do spend is quality time. That type of reasoning would suggest that a businessman or a businesswoman in Bristol could open your store tomorrow and only keep it open four hours, and it'd be successful as long as those four hours were quality hours. You see, that doesn't hold water. Spend time with your kids. I don't care if they're one or 51. Give them some of your time. Plenty of people in the twilight years of life have wished they could turn back the hands of time and wrestle on the rug with their children once again or take a walk in the evening with their spouse one more time. But no person's dying words have ever been, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. In a country that is hell-bent on the pursuit of excellence, isn't it interesting that we're willing to settle for poor in our family relationships? All is not well with the American family. It's just simply that the rules have been changed and the standards have been lowered. 
Well, certainly a good quality that's needed in a strong marriage relationship is good communication. You know, love is for a lifetime. That's a long time to live under the same roof and not carry on a quality conversation. For sake of argument tonight, we're going to say we've got a husband who's a salesman. He goes out selling his wares, leaves the house at 7.30, comes in at 5.30, and all day long selling, 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 talking, talking, talking. The wife, for sake of my argument tonight, we're going to say she's a stay-home mom with a couple of preschool children, and she's cooped up inside the house all day long. So the man who's been out selling all day long, he comes in and he said about all he wants to say. He sits down in that easy chair, pulls his lever and his leg goes straight out, gets the CBS Evening News on, gets his newspaper, begins to read it, yells into the kitchen, hey, what are we having for supper anyway? Wife, on the other hand, she's about to explode. She hadn't had an adult conversation all day. And now she doesn't like the way he yells into the kitchen, what are we having for supper tonight? So she yells back into the living room, said, Honey, you have two choices for supper tonight, and those two choices are take it or leave it. <laughs> hey, guys, listen. Spend time with your family. Do things together with your wife. Take a walk, go out to dinner, do things you enjoy doing together. Realize that your wife needs some of your time of really listening and meeting not her physical needs, but her emotional needs. And wives, respect the fact that maybe your husbands have been under tremendous pressure during the day. Maybe they do need a few moments alone when they get home in the evening. Well, not only is communication important between the husband and wife, it's also important between parent and child. Experts say if you don't want your kids to listen to you, you just never talk to them and you'll get your wish. But if you want your children to come to you rather than a stranger when a crisis hits in their life, you better spend time with them. Some parents' problem is they can't be quiet, they can't hush long enough to hear what their kids are trying to say. Teenagers were asked. A lot of teenagers here tonight are young people. Teenagers were asked in an overwhelming survey, what is it you want more than anything else from your parents? And their answer was, we want our parents to take the time to listen to us, to hear us out, and try and understand us. Now, folks, if they're to obey us and honor us, as the Scripture says, the least we can do is hear about their day. Hey, Dad, sit down with that 10-year-old. See how things are going. Take that teenage daughter out to dinner, just the two of you, and get to know one another a little bit better. And then make this commitment to your children. When I'm with you, I will be with you. You say, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. Yes, it does, and I'll show you why. When you're with your children physically, but you are not with them mentally, your kids will see right through that. Your kids aren't dumb. They'll figure that one out in a heartbeat. When my son was back in high school, we used to be out in the backyard, and we'd be passing the football back and forth, back and forth, and all of a sudden my mind would begin to wonder. And I'd think about an upcoming revival, a problem I had to solve, something was going on, and though we continued to throw the ball back and forth, mentally I checked out, and I wasn't there. And he'd pick up on that, and he'd say, Dad, Dad, come on, man. said, you're not paying attention to what we're doing. And though I never said it to my son, when he brought me to that reality, this is what I would think in my mind. Oh, dear God, for the few precious moments I have to be with this young boy today, please don't let me waste them worrying about something I cannot change. God, he's only going to be young for such a short period in my life. Help me to give him these moments we share together. Make that commitment to your children and your grandchildren. When I'm with you, I will be with you. Strong families have open lines of communication. Your parent and child, all the way down. Well, young people here tonight, let me speak to you a minute. I said I was going to speak to the young folks. 
these uh, middle school students and teenagers that are here tonight, you're probably sitting out there saying, hey, that's my mom, that's my dad, sick them, preacher, hey, go get them. They needed to hear that. I'm glad you got them here tonight. Well, let me speak to you young folks just a minute, you teenagers, middle school students, sophomores, juniors, seniors. You think, you, know, you think your parents are out of touch, they're not hip and they're not cool. They don't listen to the CDs you like to listen to. They don't hear what's on your iPod. And they don't understand why you dress the way you dress, why you hair the way you do it. And you think your parents are out of touch, and they just don't understand you. Now, young people, let me say this to you a minute. I would remind you that your moms and dads, many of them, maybe not all of them, but many of them, laid awake many nights, concerned and even worried about you. When's the last time you laid in the bed worried about your folks. They've worked 50 and 60 hours a week raising you and providing for you. For some of you, they're going to help buy your first vehicle in your teenage years. And if you think you don't owe your mother and daddy anything else, you owe them gratitude for the price they've paid for your happiness. In God's eyes, respect for your mother and daddy is cool. Families are built from the foundation up. That foundation is Jesus Christ. The first two people who stand on it should be the husband and wife then come the children. Let me speak to you single-parent homes just a moment. Those of you who have experienced the pain of divorce here tonight, and I don't know who that is and who that isn't, but I'm sure that's a good number of you in here. If you've experienced the pain of divorce, you're a single parent, I would say this to you. I think you've got the toughest job in the entire world, and here's why I say that. Because now, the spiritual responsibility of your family rest squarely on your shoulders. But I want you to know that with God's grace and with God's help, you can do it. A divorce does not make you a useless person. It's still your calling to lead the most productive life you can for Jesus Christ. God does not take people who have been divorced, put them up on a shelf, get out a big red bucket of paint, put a big D on their stomach and say, useless, no count, no good person for the rest of your life. That's not the kind of God I serve. Now, am I trying to glorify divorce? In no way. Is it what God wants? Of course it's not what He wants. But is there life after divorce? Yes. And we in the church need to embrace these people who've experienced the pain of divorce, love them, wrap our arms around them, try to be proactive, do everything we can to stop it. But once it's happened, to love those folks and let them find a place in the fellowship to be who God has called them to be. Divorced people are not second-class citizens. They've not committed the unpardonable sin. Jesus does not love them less than He loves people who've never been divorced. Those of us who have good marriages, we get a little smug and we say, well, I'll tell you what, a divorce won't ever happen in my family. Well, let me ask you a question. How many perfect marriages represented here tonight? what I thought. Mine's not either. Oh, every once in a while I'll be marrying a couple and I'll hear somebody say, Oh, look at them. There's a marriage made in heaven. And I say, uh-huh. And I would remind you that thunder and lightning are also made in heaven. Now look, it may have been made in heaven, but it's lived out down here on earth between two imperfect people. I used to work in my dad's florist business up in Princeton, West Virginia. There was a lady there, and every once in a while she'd say that. She'd say, and my husband and I have never had a crossword in all of our years of marriage. And every time she'd say that, I'd move about 20 yards out of the way, scared to death, the roof would fall in. That's the biggest lie I ever heard in my life. You've got to be kidding me. Every couple has disagreements. Times they're upset. Times they're angry. Times they're mad. What I'm saying is this. 
Don't ask your spouse to be something you're not. You cannot offer perfection, therefore do not ask for perfection in return. What's it going to take for your marriage to stay intact? Keep it centered around the church, around the cross, around Jesus Christ. When you've got a marriage problem, you stand back and you look at the cross. And when you see Jesus up on that cross, and He gave and He gave and He gave, and He didn't ask anything from you in return. When you begin to pattern your love for your mate after that kind of love, your problems will go away. You husbands, listen up. You say, well, my wife doesn't look like she did today. I married her. I would remind you that for many of you, the beauty of her youth was spent on bearing your children and waiting on you. You wives say, well, my husband's not as exciting as he was years ago. You go back to the cross and you let Jesus put that unconditional love in your heart and you will love that man in a new and different way. Husbands and wives that are here tonight selfishly seeking to have your own way. Maybe you're struggling behind the four walls of your home. Maybe everybody in church knows about it. Maybe you're the only two know that you're battling it out when you're not in church. But if you're here tonight selfishly seeking to have your own way, go back to the cross and the divorce courts just might go out of business. And your pastor will have time for other things. What's going to cost you to recommit yourself to your family? What's going to cost you some of your time? The burden of developing a strong spiritual family rests squarely on the shoulders of those here tonight called Daddy. All other family members have individual responsibilities, but you dads, you ought to be the spiritual leaders in your household. That's it. You ought to be the, if you're a father, you're the dad. And if you don't, if you don't have children, if it's just you and your wife, you ought to be the spiritual leader in your household. You say, well, now wait a minute. My husband's not saved. My husband doesn't come to church. My husband's not interested in spiritual things. Then what do I as a wife do? You then take on the role of being the best Christian example you can be to your mate and to your family. But this much I know. You will never win an unsaved loved one to Christ by staying home with them on Sunday morning. You're much more apt to end up where they are than they're apt to end up where you are. You come on to church. You do what is right whether your husband or your wife ever darkens the door of the church or not. If you know what to do is right, then do it and do it to the glory of God. Still, the major task of Christian growth in the family lies with the fathers. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which simply means raise them in God's house, around God's people, the way God would have you to. In the passage we read just a little while ago, Joshua chapter 24 he said, put away the gods your fathers used to serve and begin to serve the Lord. Some of these fathers gave their children bad examples. They worshipped pagan idols and pagan gods, and they gave a horrible example to their children. Now, some of you here tonight got great examples. Some of you were raised in homes where your mothers and fathers were saved. You learned about Jesus at an early age and made your commitment to Christ at an early age. Let me tell you something, man. You don't know how fortunate in this day and time you are. Some of you came up in split homes where one parent was saved, one parent was lost. And then some of you came up in homes where your mothers and daddies never attended church. You grew up around yelling and fighting and screaming and cussing. And you know what I'm talking about when I say verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And you never heard the word Jesus mentioned in a good way around your house. But even if that's the way you were brought up, there comes a time when we must stand or fall on our own two feet. We must stand in the gap, be men and women of God who take a stand and say, I have now reached the place where I'm accountable for my own life. 
One of the things that bugs me is we get to be 40 or 50 years of age and we're still doing all these things. We say, why are you? well, it's because this happened to me when I was a child and this happened to a teenager, so I'm still doing this now later on in my adult life. Listen, there comes a time when we adults need to grow up and say, hey, I need to stand on my own two feet. I need to be accountable for the sins of my life. Yes, our past affects us. I understand that completely. But there comes a time when we need to rise above that and say, I'm going to be a man or woman of God that will stand in the gap for the Lord Jesus Christ. I was preaching a revival out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And I went, uh, it was Tuesday night. Went back to the motel and I hadn't eaten supper yet. And it was about 9.30 at night and I went into the little restaurant there to eat. And there was just one other person in the restaurant, a man seated in the chair there. And the waitress seated me probably two yards away from me. So we're the only two people in the restaurant. He's sitting right there, I'm sitting right here. Last thing I wanted to do was talk to anybody. I was tired. I'd preached. I was back at the motel. I just wanted to enjoy a good meal, go to my room, and go to bed. But God sort of began to impress upon my heart that you need to share with this guy. You need to talk to this guy. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But God just wouldn't seem to let me go that night. And so reluctantly, I admit reluctantly, I struck up a conversation with him. We talked a little bit. I had three children. Found out he had three kids. And we talked some. And Finally, we got around to the point of talking about some spiritual things. And I said, sir, has anybody ever talked to you about how you know you can spend forever in heaven and what it means to give your heart to Christ? And he, he said, well, no. He said, really, I, I'm just not interested in hearing it. I said, well, I, I appreciate your answer. And I said, uh, I'd be interested in knowing something, if you don't mind. I'd be interested in knowing why you wouldn't want to know how you could live forever in heaven. I really would be interested in knowing that. And he said, well, you know, about 30 years ago, my family used to all go to church. And then one day... My granddaddy got in an argument with the preacher. And ever since that time, none of our family ever attended church again. And though I didn't say it to him, I thought as I sat there, do you mean to tell me you're going to let your wife and your three young middle school children die and go to hell because your granddaddy had an argument with the preacher 30 years ago? My goodness, we need to be bigger men and women of God than that. We need to do what God has called us to do. Step up to the plate. Take accountability. Men, be leaders. Men, be men in your household. We think being men means being macho and being tough. You want to be tough? You want to be a big guy? You want to be somebody as a man? Follow Jesus Christ and lead your family to do the same thing. That's what real men do. It takes a real man to do that. Well, families fall apart all the time, all around us. Joshua went on to say this. Joshua challenged the people and said, Choose you this day. Who will you serve? Make a choice. Are you going to serve the Lord or are you going to serve your own desires? Then he said, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua said, I take full responsibility for the Christian upbringing and growth in my family. I'll do everything in my power to see to it that my wife and my family faithfully and obediently serve the Lord. Joshua knew the answer to a lot of today's problems, that together as families we serve the Lord. Listen to what God said about Abraham in Genesis 18-19. God said, I know Abraham. I know he'll command his children. They'll keep the ways of the law by doing what is right and just. Abraham was not the kind of guy who whisked his kids out the door on Sunday morning to Sunday school. He was the kind of man who would have taken them by the hand and led them to Sunday school and led them to church. Parents, listen. You've been given a God-given responsibility. Take that responsibility seriously. 
Let's talk just for a moment about some things family members can do to strengthen family relationships. The one thing I see lacking more than anything else today between relatives is a lack of affection and an unwillingness to say the words, I love you. You remember in the Old Testament when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery? And then years later they met up again? What did Joseph do? Did he say, I hate your guts, I can't stand you, I'll never forgive you, and I will never forget what you did to me? Is that what he did? No, the Bible says he hugged his brothers and restored the broken relationship. As a matter of fact, he cried so hard, he cried so loud, they heard him in the other room. The Egyptians heard him in the other room. How about the prodigal son? The prodigal son's coming home, the dad's standing up at the end of the driveway. Hey, I'm telling you, that father could have made that boy sweat all the way up the driveway. He could have put his foot forward, folded his arms, pointed his finger and said, Your mother and I told you so. We told you you'd mess it up. We told you not to do that. Is that what he did? The Bible says he ran to meet his son. He hugged him and he restored the broken relationship. Mothers and daddies, hug that boy, hug that girl as often as you can. It's the best way I know of to express and to feel what love is. Have you ever noticed how when a, a father and a son or two brothers get back together and they hadn't seen each other for a while? And, and we men, we're so afraid of what somebody's going to say about two men hugging one another. You know what we guys end up doing? You watch now. When father and son or two brothers get together, you know what we guys end up doing? I'll tell you exactly what we do. We end up slapping arms and beating backs, and we about knock one another out. Yeah, we do. Hey, son, good to see you. Let me beat you around a little so you know I'm still a man. And you know what we're really trying to do? We're trying to hug one another and say, I love you. I care about you. Mothers and daddies, hug your teenagers. Teenagers, young people, hug your parents. Moms and dads, hug one another in front of your children. Let them see that godly love from you. What's happened to the family? We don't pray together anymore. Other than a God is great, God is good blessing. When's the last time you prayed with your family? When's the last time you prayed for your children to be saved or your grandchildren to be saved? When's the last time you prayed for your children or your grandchildren to find a Christian mate in a society where one out of every two, 50% are going down the tubes? God help you and God help me if we don't pray for our children to find a Christian mate. Many was the time that I would go into my children's room when they were young. And I would get down on my knees in their bedroom and I'd put my hand on their back individually and I'd pray for them at night and my prayer was always this, Oh God, if you don't answer any other prayer in my lifetime, please let me see my children saved in my life. And I'm thankful that He did. Hey, you can raise them, forget about them if you want to, but not me. My children's salvation was on my mind until the day I saw it happen in all of their lives. You see, folks, families are trying to stick together tonight when Christ is not the center of the relationship, and you can't do it. I mean, you might fool everybody. There was a movie out about ten years ago called Dead Men Walking. If Jesus is not in the center of your family and marriage relationship, that's what you got. That's what your family is dead men and dead women walking. You may fool everybody in the community, but if Christ is not in the center of your relationship, you don't really have anything. You see, families are not torn apart overnight. It takes time. It's like being at the beach. You know we jump waves. My family's always loved to get out there and jump the waves when we go to Myrtle Beach. And your family is right in there on shore and you're out 50, 100 yards and you're jumping waves and all of a sudden the tide takes you one way or the other. 
You don't really notice it. You don't really pay attention. You're just jumping, and as you jump, it's moving you. Now, it's not moving you 15 yards at a time. It's moving you a half a yard or a yard at a time. And 10 minutes later, you find yourself 100 yards down, and you have to look back this way rather than straight ahead to see your family. And see, it just happened little by little by little. And that's the way families are torn apart. It's not a big one-time thing usually. It's a little bit here, a little bit there, and they get torn apart. And if they're torn apart, and it takes a while, then it takes a while to bring them back together as well. That's not easy either. And so it takes loving family members when you're in a loving frame of mind. It takes listening when you'd like to be talking. And above all else, whatever that mother, father, brother, sister, son, or daughter does, love them. Let me tell you why. You don't get with one family. That's all you get. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is real life. You only get one family, and when they're gone... They're gone. January of 1990, I flew down to Miami, Florida to see the Orange Bowl football game between Notre Dame and Colorado. After the ball game that night, I went to my brother's apartment. He lived in the Miami area, and we talked about 2 o'clock in the morning. I had to catch a flight back home the next morning at 6 o'clock, and so we got about two hours sleep. Got my luggage in the car. He drove me out to the airport. Got my luggage checked. My brother's named Bob. I turned around, and I said, I enjoyed everything. I'll see you, Bob. Okay, Roger, take care. I'll see you later. Okay, bye-bye. Got on the plane, flew to Greensboro, got off the plane, drove up to Virginia to my house. When I got home, my wife met me at the front door. All I had to do was look at her, and I knew something was terribly wrong. And she shared with me that earlier that afternoon, her younger brother, father of two, successful businessman, a guy I would have told you was the happiest man in all of life, had taken a shotgun and committed suicide. For a while, we just stood there and cried. I mean, we just stood there and bawled our eyes out. When I regained my composure, I went inside, and I called my brother in Miami. I told him what happened, and I said, Now, Bob, let me tell you why I called. I said, I am so sorry that when I left you at the airport at 6 o'clock this morning, the only thing I did was shake your hand. I said, Bob, you're my brother. You're my flesh and blood. And I promise you, I will never leave your presence again without hugging you and telling you that I love you. We learned a painful lesson that day, man. Painful. You only get one family. When they're gone, they're gone. And by the way, I'm 59. My brother's 51. He's the athletic director at Campbell University down in Bowie's Creek. And we never get off the phone without saying the word. I love you. Your mother and father still living? Love your mother and father. For they will come sooner than you want. That one or the other won't be there. And you won't be able to call them up and say, Hey, Mom, how was it you taught me to make that? Hey, Dad, how was it you taught me to build that? Love your mother and father because I tell you something. A day will come when you'd give anything you owned to hear their voice one more time. Trust me. Are you married? Love your husband. Love your wife. For sooner than you want, one or the other won't be there. And there'll be an empty chair to remind you the one who spent much of life with you no longer resides in the home. You've got brothers and sisters. Hey, I don't care if they're 16 or 86. Love you, brothers. Love you, sisters. For sooner than we want, 
one or the other won't be there. You see, we don't get but one family. That's all we get. And when they're gone, they're gone. I believe tonight if we'll say, you know, God, we've got our share of problems in our family. We'll just be honest with God. Don't try to act like we've got perfect families. Say, God, we've got our share of problems. Help us to change our habits, our patterns, our attitudes that are causing us difficulty. I believe he'll help you to do that. And then one thing I would say in closing is we need to learn to stop blaming in the family and accept the blame. There's some times that every person in here there's some time that every young person I'm looking at here tonight, every young person in this building, you need to say to your family, I am sorry. There are times that every adult, every mom and dad and parent in here needs to say not only to one another but to their children, I am sorry. It's not always somebody else's fault. Sometimes we need to step up to the plate and say, it's me. I'm sorry. Please, forgive me. You know, I remember when... Uh, we took our middle child to college, to Radford University. And we drove him up there that day, and those of you who have taken kids to college, you know that feeling, it's sort of a lonely ride home when you take them and you come back, and you don't say a whole lot on the way, and you do a lot of reflecting and thinking about childhood memories and that kind of stuff. And so we dropped him off at Radford. It's about an hour and a half from our house, and we went back home that afternoon. And when we got back home, I got out of the car. And the old basketball goal was there that he and I shot basketball goals, shot many times, played a whole bunch of times. And there was a net that now was just hanging by one thread. Just one thread left, and that old net would come down, and the wind was just sort of blowing it back and forth. And I looked up at that basketball goal, and I thought about all the times my son had asked me to play. And I said, well, I'm busy. I'd love to, but I'm busy. I can't play today. I've got something I've got to do. And when I looked up at that goal that day, I just sort of groaned in my heart, and I groaned in my spirit, and I just said, Oh, God, if He'll ask me again, if you'll just let Him ask me again, I'll play. Hey, when those opportunities go by, you can't get them back. They're gone forever. If you knew the last time you picked up your children, your little boys and little girls, if you knew the last time you were able to lift them up, you know there comes a time when mom and dad, grandmother and granddaddy, they can't pick us up anymore. You know, We get big enough that they can't pick us up. If you knew, if you had known the last time you were picking up your child, that that would be the last time you would pick them up because now they had grown to the point where you wouldn't be picking them up anymore. Would you have held them just a little bit tighter? Would you have loved them just a little bit longer? Hey, we get one family. That's all. Love your families with all your heart. It's God's desire for your family to be close, loving, a forgiving family more than anything else, a family that serves the Lord together. Would you be willing to make that commitment tonight? To say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For some of you, it's the key to happiness you've been looking for. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every family in here tonight. I thank you for my beautiful wife, Esther, and my children, Rachel, Roger, and Sarah. 
And I'm well aware that you've loaned them to me on the history of this earth for a certain period in time. And it won't always be this way. Time changes things. God, please help me to love my own family with all my heart. And I pray there'll be men and women of God who leave tonight loving their spouses, loving their families with all their hearts. Oh God, do a work in family lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a few moments, we'll be singing a song just as I am. Words will be up on the screen. It'll be an invitation time. A time when you can respond to the Word of God, what you heard here tonight. Thank you for listening. Been so attentive. Young people, thank you. You all listened so well. Thank you for listening to me tonight. I'm glad you were here. Now pay close attention because here comes the invitation. In a few moments, your pastor, Brother Todd, will be here at the front to greet you. If you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, we invite you to come. You may be a 9 or 10-year-old boy or girl, teenager, man or woman, but if you've never come publicly, meaning coming down the aisle to receive Jesus, you can do that tonight. You don't have to wait another night. Listen, God loves you. Jesus died on the cross, died for you so that everything you've ever done wrong, which is called sin, everything you've ever done wrong can be forgiven. And if by faith you'll come and ask Him to come into your heart and live in your life and be your Savior and ask Him to forgive you of everything you've done wrong, He'll do exactly what He said He will. He'll come and He will live inside your heart. And He will never leave. You don't have to be saved two times or three times. You need to be saved one time and be serious about it and mean business about it. If you're here tonight and you've never made a public profession of faith, we invite you to come and share with Pastor Todd tonight. This is my moment. This is my time in history tonight. I want Jesus in my heart. Boys and girls up here, just think about it. Hey, don't do it for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for yourself if you want to do it. But just think about it. Would you just consider that maybe tonight would be a night you'd come and say yes to Jesus. You'd invite Him into your heart and you'd go home a Christian tonight. Wouldn't that be great news? Wouldn't that be wonderful? So I hope there'll be people who'll come tonight and make that commitment to Christ. God's calling some of you to join this church. Come on and join King's Way. If He's leading you to put your membership here, come on and do that. Maybe you've been saved. You say, well, I've accepted Jesus, but... I've never followed the Lord in the waters of baptism. And I know that Jesus was baptized. The Bible tells us that He was. You know why? He was baptized to show us the way how. To fulfill all righteousness. And our Lord followed and allowed Himself to be baptized. And now He says to us, follow in that example. Let others know that you believe that I died, was buried, and rose again. So tonight, if you've been saved and you've never been baptized, you you can come and make that commitment. I've asked you to sit together as families tonight, and here's why. Now I'm going to invite you to respond as families. Hand in hand. Husband and wife, parent and child, brother and sister, whatever your family unit is, I invite you to come as families tonight. And by your coming, you'll be doing two things. Number one, recommitting yourself to your family. But number two, recommitting your family to Jesus Christ.
you got up in the morning and your family was all gone, would you face this invitation time any differently? Do what you know you can do while you know you can do it. There are no guarantees. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you, there are no guarantees. None of us know that we will see tomorrow. None of us know that. Therefore, if you're interested, then come tonight while you know you can. You say, well, I'm not here with my family. I'm here by myself. I'm a single adult. Maybe I'm a divorcee, man or woman. Hey, you and God make a family. You come. You pray with your pastor about how God can use you in the life of the church. And thank God that He's enabled you to live through that pain of divorce and come out standing strong on the other side. If that's you tonight, you come. So I, I want to know, are there families who lead the way? Are there men of God, men of God in Kingsway, men of God visiting from other churches tonight who lead the way and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord? Are there women of God who lead the way and say, yes, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord tonight. Whose family will be first in a few moments to step out and say, we recommit our family to Jesus and we recommit ourselves to our own family. Now, if you've never been saved, there'll never be an easier time, and here's why. You've got your family to walk with you. So we're going to call this No Excuse Night. No Excuse Night. Because I'm inviting you to come with your families tonight to do whatever it is you need to do. In a few moments, if you come and you're making a commitment to be saved or join this church or follow through in baptism or whatever God's calling you to do, you be sure and you share that with Pastor Todd. You let him know why you've come. How about your family tonight? Will your family come in a time of recommitment? Husband and wife, brother and sister, mom and dad, grandmother, grandchild, whose family will be first tonight to step out? You say, well, if our family comes down the aisle, somebody will think something's wrong. There's something wrong with every family in here. It's called sin. I'm not asking you to have a perfect family. I'm asking you to recommit your family to Jesus and yourself to your family. That's all. If you mean business about that and you want to come tonight, you do. If you young folks want to come hand in hand with a friend to give your heart to Jesus, come on and bring a friend with you and come. Come on and do what God wants you to do. Let's let this be a great night because the family of God lives forever. Someday we'll be there. We're Christians. We'll be there. And that family will never be broken. Some of you come from broken homes. Well, that family in heaven will never be broken. It's a forever family. Whose family will be first tonight? Men of God who lead the way. Pastor, be at the front. As we stand together and sing, we're looking for you. Let's stand.
Just as I am and will. 
Stop.